Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. If all Nottingham means to you is British industry or Robin Hood's cruel nemesis, listen to this episode. You'll discover how this former coal hub has decided to become climate neutral by 2028. In practice, it means cutting emission by 20% a year. What a challenge. Wayne Bexton, the Director of Carbon Reduction, Energy and Sustainability of the Nottingham City Council, is ready to set the example. In this conversation, you'll learn how the city is implementing its policies by building on the local communities and the economic fabric. Wayne, thank you so much and welcome to Energetic. Hi, Maureen. Yeah, great to be here and looking forward to having a conversation. Thank you, Wayne. So, Wayne, you were recognized as one of the top 500 global influencers in environment and sustainability in 2021. I want to join that list. How did you make it? Well, wow, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of a, a big long journey, I think, to that marine, and and uh, some of that sets out with with obviously what we're what we're doing in Nottingham, but equally with hopefully what I've done over. Uh, the course of a lifetime and generally dedicated myself to uh, environmental improvement, conservation. And that's been the key factor, I think, in, in being recognised on that list. And and obviously the last six, seven years with Nottingham City Council, the leading local authority on this agenda in the UK um, and on the sustainability agenda in the UK means that obviously I've uh, been fortunate enough to lead the teams that deliver such fantastic work as has probably put me on there quite embarrassingly. <laughs> so what does that mean exactly? What are you doing and what does it mean for a city to be carbon neutral? It's such a huge agenda. Yeah, massive agenda and a huge amount going on and across the the whole organisation. So in reality, to achieve carbon neutrality, it's going to be a difficult task by 2028. But we've set that as being the most ambitious city now in Europe since Copenhagen dropped their 2025 aspiration due to factors out of their control default. But in Nottingham, we really do feel that we can lead the way for cities in the UK and, and hence putting that quite quite significant target in place. Other core cities in the UK have generally gone for around 2030 and we're focusing on scope one and two emissions. So that doesn't mean we're forgetting about scope three emissions by no means. But obviously we know as policy leads in the city, Scope one and two have got to be got to be our core focus, and then the work is across a whole load of areas. So we've implemented a really good roadmap, and again, this is a, a something I would recommend for other cities or or other certainly urban areas. So we've got those actions listed out exactly what we need to achieve year on year in order to hit that target. And there's around 280 actions in there marine across a whole load of themes from transport, the built environment, commercial, domestic, and then those cross-cutting themes around adaptation and and carbon removal and and the natural environment. So we've really built on some solid foundations of the past, put that into the form of a charter with all the science behind it in Nottingham and exactly the data we're using, and then ultimately that lands as an action plan 
detailing actions and crucially making sure those actions are owned by people across the city. And what we always say in Nottingham is seeing is believing. So I'm a big advocate that we don't have strategy or policy that sits on a shelf. I want to see that turn into real action on the ground. And often starting is the hardest part, isn't it? And and perfection's not necessarily something we can achieve. And we've always had that as well, certainly across the teams I lead, where we say, let's get started. We've obviously got the strategic ambition. We might not know the full path to get there, but at least setting out on the journey will, will stand us in a good place down the line. Uh, and obviously we've built on lots of the fantastic work across Europe and globally. So Donut Economics with Kate Rorath and another another really key work. So we've tried to embed principles in everything we're doing that means we'll be set for the future. And does the fact that you are coming from a really complicated area, I mean, it was a coal hub, the last coal mines have closed uh, very, very recently. So you were starting from a very bad position. How does that help to kind of envision the future? And would also be really curious to, to understand how you managed to bring on board also the former miners. I mean, somehow you don't want to blame them for the work they, they did before, like uh, getting the coal out of the mines, but you want them to be part of the solution. So what is your recipe for dealing with so many parallel challenges? Yeah, it's key, isn't it, really, that we we embrace those new low-carbon technologies. So you're absolutely right, and, and coal mining in in the area, in the wider area, important part of the fabric and the history of Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire, which is a, the larger regional area, if you like, and, and our local enterprise partnership boundary. And obviously mining was inherent, still really important in those communities. So for us, it's been about ensuring that this is almost a, an, an industrial revolution of the future and actually moving that to low carbon technologies that create jobs and create communities and that those those communities that were engaged in some of those old technologies can now engage in those those cleaner technologies of the future. And that's been received really well. We've already reduced, so from 2005, we've already reduced our carbon emissions by 58% per capita. So again, a, a real positive, and the, that's the, the leading core city response in the UK, a real positive tick towards the work we're doing. Uh, obviously, a lot more to do and, and the low-hanging fruit has gone. But ultimately, those reductions are really galvanizing the support we're getting across, again, the wider communities. This is about improving lives of residents, communities, making it a healthier environment for them, but equally making sure there's jobs and that this is something that they can engage with proactively. I think also, and this is very literally transforming um, some of that coal mining legacy, we are looking at the coal mines that have got water within them. And that water in those coal mines that's captured in those redundant coal mines is, is often sitting above 20 degrees. And what we've found is if we can pump that water to the surface, put it through a, a heat plate exchanger, we can use that heat to warm homes and businesses. And so it, it literally is transforming a, an old legacy feature. And we're working with the UK Coal Authority and government to start to implement pilots of that. And obviously with the amount of mining across the UK and certainly the Midlands and North, that's got huge potential to be reinvigorating what was a, a legacy situation. The other thing we've done, Marine, really positively is is consultation. So we've spoken to the people of Nottingham, but also wider as well. And we want to make sure that people come on this journey with us 
and the support is overwhelming. We've recently done a consultation on a former shopping centre in the middle of Nottingham called the Broadmarsh, and that shopping centre is decayed and has been removed. And we're asking people what they want to see. What they want to see is a green lung in the city. They want green space. It's been particularly important through COVID that people have access to that. And they also want to see green technology businesses. So they want to see businesses either that have sustainability at their heart or that have outputs for the low carbon economy come into Nottingham and they want Nottingham to be a, a unique place that, that that can be delivered. So to have that from resident citizens, to have businesses buying in across the city and, and obviously to be able to hopefully create jobs and, and economic growth on the back of the work we're doing around low carbon, that's what really excites me because I think this is a model that can be replicated around the world and as a city model, I'd love to see us succeed. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. And using like the heated water and to run it uh, as a district heating network or for other uh, usage, maybe for the industry, is something that is getting developed. And it's, it's really interesting. We already had a few conversations about that in this podcast. But indeed, having like this total shift from black, from the cold to really green, like the best emerald green, let's call it this way is extremely, extremely inspiring. And that's, uh, that's beautiful to know that people will see the change maybe in their lifetimes, like uh, former coal miners or sons or daughters of coal miners. Now they see a different future for their kids. But I wonder what was like the, for Nottingham City Council, what was the turning point that made you think, no, it's not longer possible to continue in this coal mining perspective and this old industrial mindset and shift to this really ambitious sustainable mindset what happened i think there was a, there was a whole load of factors marine and I, and i think they come from central government legislative change and and right down to local impacts i think for nottingham sustainability there was a nottingham declaration there's been the largest district heating network in the uk in nottingham for many years, date, and some of the infrastructure dates back to the 1970s. And we've brought that right up to date. So we serve over 5,000 homes in the city with district heating, and, and we serve around about 100 businesses. And that is through waste incineration, which again has got its own carbon implications. But it's much better than landfill from a carbon perspective. And what we want to do is reduce the waste down and look at low carbon sources of heat. So I guess from kind of almost answering the question of how it comes about, it's incremental. And I think generally, even when we're looking to embrace new technologies, so we, for instance, we know waste incineration is a perfect, but we know it's better than the alternative. And actually, we've got a plan to make it much greener for the future. And that's really important that we're in that, that position. I'd also think some of it is born out of the kind of, I think, it's back to that point around consultation, but it's the public perception of what they want to see. They want improved air quality. And, and, you know, that's that's really important. They've seen the tram in the city, the electric tram. That's had a big impact on, on vehicle journeys and, and people are embracing that as a mode of transport. They've seen electric taxis. They've seen e-scooters. And what I think it is is a bit of a snowball effect that people start to witness the policy change, get quite excited about that and what the future could look like. And certainly that's helped transform the direction we're going. I think we've had uh, stable political leadership as well. So some elected members, councillors with this ambition right at their, at their heart. And that's really helped because they're driving that political conversation. And I think there's a desire to be able to lobby national government and say, 
look at what we're doing here in a city environment. We can help national government achieve their own aspirations. We can be a case study for others to follow. And I think all those kind of incremental steps really start to start to galvanise the, the what can be achieved. I would also say carbon reduction is often framed as exactly as I've said it really reducing things, and that can have negative connotations. And in my view, it's always been really important that we build on growth. So actually, this is about growing something, not reducing something, putting sustainable options for people and making those sustainable options the better choice that they can make. And I think that starts to become a a compelling narrative that people can see the choice. They can choose an e-scooter rather than getting in the car. They can choose an electric taxi rather than a, a diesel taxi. They can look at speaking to us around making their home more energy efficient and actually that can be warmer for them and and I'm sure I'll I'll touch on some of what we've done around domestic retrofit in a moment but I think generally just putting those positive elements into people's minds around what can be achieved has helped sell this as a core principle for the city and it's sat right there on the top of our the the policy table if you like and and it sits as important I think this is again a key message for other cities it sits at that same importance level as finance considerations, legal considerations, all the things you might expect to find when you're making a key decision. We've got carbon and carbon neutral implications sat at that top level. And that's so, so important. So if we give planning consent to a new development, it's got to have an alignment with carbon neutral. And we've got a carbon neutral pre-planning board with universities involved and others. If we look at a new new piece of transport infrastructure, it's got to have an alignment to carbon neutral. So just embedding this in day-to-day decision-making, I think, has been has been really, really important. That's uh, that's totally true. And it's uh, crazy how these things have not already been integrated at all levels in any kind of policies. But I think there is also one thing that we have to keep in mind, especially this winter, like we are recording uh, this podcast uh, end of October, early November 2022. And we are all talking about rising level of fuel poverty or energy poverty and the challenges of uh, heating the upcoming winter. So I guess that's one of the questions or one of the, let's say, challenge that may come is how do you deal with the people affected by energy poverty or has this kind of gratification of the city, has it led to some form of gentrification? How do you reconcile the green and uh, objectives with really the one that are focusing on the well-being of the people, especially the low-income one? Yeah, a huge challenge. We've been really proud of the work we've done around fuel poverty over the last five years. We've we've had a fuel poverty strategy and we've worked to implement changes across the housing stock. Again, you're looking at around about 130,000 properties. We have in our ownership, obviously, around about 27,000 of those properties. So a real domestic kind of challenge and tackling that fuel poverty angle really, really key to the city and and one of the pillars really of achieving our our carbon neutral aspirations. And you're absolutely right. The balance needs to be there. What we need to be saying is improving the efficiency, the carbon performance of these properties will have a knock-on impact to those residents living in those properties. And that's really important link to make and something that we, despite all the good work, we're obviously now in the midst of an energy crisis, which will mean we'll see more people go into fuel poverty. And again, that's only kind of 
galvanized, I think, our, our approach to, to what we're doing in the city. So what we've been doing and are continuing to do at Pace is deliver a retrofit program across our housing stock and, and certainly having an offer for private housing as well. So in the city, we've got around 10 archetypes of property from those that are in a really poor state at one end of that spectrum to those that might need, you know, might be more modern, may need lighter touch. We've got around, for instance, 6,000 solar domestic solar PV assets in the city. So they may need a lighter touch. For instance, those on the district heating network, another 5,000 properties, they may need a lighter touch. But generally, across the board, we know there needs to be some degree of intervention in, in all those properties. So really, really crucially, we've been bringing in grant money into the city to deliver and match against our own funds where it's not necessarily sustainable. So if we know we're doing a roof replacement, we'll bring in grant to do something more wholesale to those properties. And so this retrofit program called Greener Housing across the board and, and supported with funding is also taking learning from across Europe. So the energy sprung model in the Netherlands is what we've it's been our go-to. We've got a pipeline at the moment of about 2,000 properties to retrofit in that style. And what it's doing, Marine, is it's it really is transforming the properties, costs for the home owner or, or the householder or the tenant come right down. So that's fantastic. It's a well-insulated property, and, and obviously we're putting in external wall insulation, uh, solar PV, ground source heat pumps. We're sometimes moving the configuration of the insides of the building, smart monitoring. And so it's having this real fantastic knock-on impact. And some of the residents become local celebrities in their own right because they'll speak to the media and say they can't believe the transformation and and that's selling it on to the next. And so that program is gathering pace and at the moment dropping the ocean, of course. But what we want to do is, is see this delivered in a sustainable way. What we're building into our contracts and encouraging our partners is to drive costs down. So at the outset, we were seeing costs per property for those hardest to treat up at around about £70,000 per, per property. We're now down, getting more towards 50000 for the hardest to treat. And obviously, those that don't need the biggest intervention, it's it can even be as low as kind of 15K, 15000 What we want it to become is is actually, this is the, the model to go to, self-sustaining. And that's when you get to a point where you can deliver this through maintenance funding for the properties that you would already spend. So rather than doing maintenance ad hoc over a period of time, if you go for an upfront delivery, you know you're not going to have to revisit that property because you've done it to the, the highest of standards. And that's a really, really key. I think for me, the biggest selling point, so we're getting the carbon impacts, we're getting the bill impacts for the householder, we're bringing in grant to make this work. But for me, the biggest plus is those things that are outside the business case. So suddenly communities feel vibrant and improved. People are out in the gardens and improving the gardens. The streets feel better, and and you're getting this kind of whole community impact that probably we don't put enough value on, and and that is that is fantastic. And the other thing we're getting, Marine, and and this this also really excites me, is we're seeing public health budgets benefit. So we're not having people present at their uh, doctors with issues of a, a respiratory illness because they're now in a home that's not mouldy or cold, and that's preventing them going forward to doctors and that's then saving the public purse the public finance down the line where actually they're not going to a and e or the nhs they're staying well 
And I think that as a model, again, is something we've not captured enough data on. But if you replicate that across a much bigger area, the impacts could be quite significant. That's absolutely fascinating to hear also because there are so many like theoretical examples of the links between health and fuel poverty. And I would say also the quality of air. There are so many data about that, the poor air quality. And you're managing to address that from like, the broader community perspective with the like uh, ending coal mine and, and, and starting using uh, clean energy and so clean the air basically. And uh, thinking also about indoor environment. And I think it's the first time I'm hearing such an integrated approach that focuses both at the city level, at the, the environmental level, and at the indoor environment level. And I will definitely keep the, this example in mind because we are still missing this kind of, of positive links and this kind of positive stories. So thank you very much, uh, Wayne, for, for this example. I still had a question for you is... Where do you think are the biggest challenges now? Uh, because you seem to have like addressed so many things. And I love the fact that communities are now vibrant. So it may be also reflected on the uh, level of employment and the quality of employment. But what do you see as like the biggest challenges in the future? Well, now and in the future. Yeah, this is a big question, isn't it? Arena, and one I give a, a lot of thought to, and I, I'm fortunate enough to have done quite a lot of of travel. And one of the things that sticks in my mind is is seeing some of those natural disasters and, and uh, effects of extreme weather around the globe. In in Australia, seeing the the kind of aftermath of bushfires, or in Asia, having seen some severe flooding aftermath, and and that really, in my mind, is is always a, a core focus when I'm thinking about challenges of the future. I think that there's a number, but I think I'll try and stick to probably probably three. One is I think we, we do need legislative change. So we need to see a shift and a, a real focus. And, and obviously we've got this year's COP coming up in, in Egypt and it'd be great if there was there was some positive fallout from that. But ultimately we need to see things like in certainly in the UK where we've got our distribution network operator it's still very costly to put renewables onto the grid. And I, I think that should be government supported and certainly a change in the way it is currently set up where the next person in the conveyor belt queue or the next company in the queue trips the requirement for grid upgrade because they're connecting in and it's gone over its 99 capacity. And straight away, there's a massive cost for them to do so, even though they're looking to do something positive. I, I've seen I've seen quotes for reinforcing the grid up at four million pounds for a, a relatively small solar farm in the UK, and that suddenly means that business cases have blown out of the water. So I think distribution network operators and that legislative context needs reform. I think the other challenge is technological advancement and the pace of change. And it, I mean, it links into my, that last example really around retrofit. But what we're trying to do, and what I'm hoping will be a, a door into some of that change is looking at uh, spaces for innovation. So we're part of the Innovation Gateway, which is a top sector, top tier collaboration of those working in the sustainability sector, but with the the sustainability challenge at their, their heart and a lot of private sector players in there. So big players, Tesco as, as a kind of supermarket chain and uh, Royal Bank Scotland, others in there. 
And they've all got sustainability objectives, which is great, corporate social responsibility, etc. And we're a public sector body in there coming in and learning rapidly. So people aren't reinventing the wheels. So if someone's got something they can we can learn from, others will join that. And rather than it being started again from scratch, and I think that's a key challenge to enable that on a bigger scale across the uh, UK and Europe, so others can buy in and kind of quickly advance their thinking rather than starting from zero. And I think the the third one for me as a challenge is the local uh, energy systems and embracing renewables. So I suppose for me at the moment, I know in Nottingham, we probably generate about a quarter of our energy requirements from renewable energy within the city boundary. The problem is that energy is going back into the grid and he's not part of a local network. And that's a challenge, and I think something we need to address. And I think we can drive costs down by doing that. So if we're generating energy from renewables locally, we must be able to work with uh, off-gem as obviously market regulators to allow the energy to be used locally. And obviously that's conversations I've already started to have. So produce locally, use locally, and then that should be at a reduced rate, reduced tariff. And I think that would, again, implement a desire to to make things happen at, at pace and much quicker. So they're, they're probably my, my three key challenge, Marine, and quite technical. I think the one that's dropped off the radar that I'd have said for others uh, is that kind of public support. And I I'm really am seeing a shift in, in mindsets, which is fantastic because people really come on board with this. And and despite their own challenges and, and the cost of living crisis that we're seeing, even with that backdrop, people still have this at the, the top of their list when they're speaking to, to myself or some of our elected members. Yeah, which is very, very important that people keep on seeing like the green transition as the solution and not the culprit for the high energy prices at the moment and uh, the climate change as well. So it's really good that they still have this positive approach. And uh, I'm sure you are also doing like, a very, very proactive job in in explaining getting green and sustainable is part of the solution. It has to be fast and it has to be done well as well. So are you the uh, Robin Hood of sustainability somehow? <laughs> definitely don't definitely don't wear the tights, Marine, but I'm sure I'm sure that um that'd be a time that we could we could use in the city and, and definitely uh, some of the principles of, of Robin Hood uh, ring true. Perfect. So Wayne, what are your expectations for the future? So where will you put your energy into? Yeah, I mean, this is this is key, isn't it? So I think, again, breaking it down into, into chunks, really. One is is embracing and, and rolling out some of the technologies we've delivered on a pilot basis on a much, much greater scale. So one example I always give, and, and again, this one is particularly good as far as a joined up approach is our vehicle to grid work and i'd love to roll this out across the city and so vehicle to grid works on the basis and touches on some of what i've i've gone through actually but we have a, a large central battery that we're putting in place at our eastcroft depot in nottingham near to the train station that's about a megawatt battery in scale we then have bi-directional charges for all of our electric fleet so around 40 of those bi-directional charges across that site. And the analysis has shown us when a vehicle comes in at the end of the day, when it's been out doing its operations, it's typically still got 20, 30% charge still in the battery. So it plugs into the bi-directional charges. 
of those batteries from the vehicles decharge into the central battery uh, and that battery has been simultaneously topped up with solar PV and renewables on the site through the day which are already in place and then that battery at that peak time of day five six uh, seven o'clock in the evening that battery can then trade with grid and then the cycle when it's cheaper to do so the vehicles charge up through the night the cycle starts again and that is a bit of a, a, a small scale, it's almost microgrid territory, but that's a fantastic way of a business or even individual, because actually it can work on an individual basis, starting to engage and starting to just be more savvy around the, the markets and work with national grid. In the UK, I think that's something that the focus is going to land on is actually if we do reduce consumption at certain times of day, is there a benefit for those who do reduce that consumption? And, and I think that can only become a, a bigger and bigger opportunity. So for me, rollout of those kind of technologies really, really important. I think also working with our international partners. So we're obviously a, an A-graded city through the Carbon Disclosure Project. I think there's 94 A-graded cities, which is fantastic. So keeping that status is, is going to be really, really important. And learning from cities globally as well as I've as I've mentioned collaboration for me is key so that kind of learning experience and being part of that those core groups is is fundamental I think the other and probably if I'm honest so that's kind of technology and collaboration the most important one is some of those local partnerships so as a city council we're only actually directly responsible for around three percent of the emissions in the city so working with our businesses, working with our big partners like the universities, and they've been fantastic and, and they've committed to this agenda, but getting that greater commitment and that greater uh, and closer working is going to be going to be really, really crucial. We've had over 50 businesses sign up to We Support Carbon Neutral 2028, which has been a, a real great start. It's a bit like a uh, a food hygiene rating tag or a trip advisor tag for those businesses so they can sell the the fact that they've got the CM28 branding, uh, which actually does have a, a Robin Hood arrow uh, within it. So they can sell that and be part of that. And then the universities as well and uh, research and technology, just enhancing those those linkages is is really, really key. So we can ensure that research and, and, and design and innovation is, is really at the, the centre of what we're doing. And I think the final one, if I, I'm sneaking a fourth one in Marine, but the, the final one would be uh, we host the Midlands Net Zero Hub, which is there's five hubs in, in England and they're funded via government, so the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. And that gives us a role and responsibility for the whole of the Midlands, which is Welsh border to, to East Coast. And I think building on that, it's been a real journey to get it to where it is. And what we've got is love the public sector really galvanised across the across the region, uh, and I think building on that is is absolutely one of my priorities over the over the next uh, next year and beyond. And that's amazing, and uh, good luck with the, all those um, amazing innovations and project. And uh, I think there is so much inspiration to to draw from this. And uh, there are so many cities who are really leading the way and i'm sure we'll hear um, more about this in the coming years as well like the, the fact that they know uh, their inhabitants they know the local communities they know the uh, businesses that are and have their activities on, on their territories they also have this desire to be the most livable 
for everyone. And it's also a way to attract uh, new fundings, new talents, uh, new like maybe families with small children that are somehow an inspiration for the future. It's a really good, really good example. And I will definitely follow the news and and see the, the next steps that you're implementing. So Wayne, where can we find you? Well, yeah, you can find me. Uh, I'm, I'm on. Uh, I'm certainly on Twitter. So at Climate Bets, at Climate Bets, that's my my Twitter handle. So, so do look me up, and I'm posting all sorts of links and updates on there. I'm on. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So, so if you've got a particular interest or a, a kind of business focused question, then then feel free to to look me up on there and give me a shout. And I'm sure, Maureen, obviously, my, my we can share some of my my direct contact details via email if if one of those platforms doesn't doesn't work. Okay, I will definitely link your Twitter and LinkedIn handle uh, to the show notes. But in any case, thank you so much, Wayne, uh, for this uh, really inspiring conversation and very, very, very insightful. So I wish you the very best and I hope to visit Nottingham someday. If uh, Robin Hood is in the, the area, that would be amazing. And I hope that you really knock the sheriff down. <laughs> Thanks, Marine. You're welcome anytime. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.